This is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. This is the Hot Takes edition, the final Hot Takes edition of the 2022 season. Florida State escapes with a narrow win over Oklahoma 35-32 in the Cheez-It Bowl. And tell you what, it was ugly, but uh, you'll take 10-3 and in a 2022 season where a lot of folks felt like seven wins would be a successful year. Ten comes out pretty well. So I'm going to just start with that. This is the culmination of really a major turnaround season for Mike Norvell and the Florida State program. And you can see that they are really building something there in Tallahassee to get things back on track. No question about it. Uh, This was a game that they very easily could have lost. We're in position, you know, at one point down 14-3. And that that 14-3 lead very nearly became a 21-3 lead. Tell you what, that that turn that turnaround, that holding penalty may have been the 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 difference in this in this game. I, I think it was the right call. It's one that isn't always called, but I think again, right call. But if there's a game if there's a play that really completely changed this game, it was that holding call on a uh on a running play by Oklahoma where Sawchuk went into the end zone just trucking. I think it was I think it was uh was Dent just ran, ran right over a Florida State safety on his way to the end zone and it looked like Oklahoma was about to roll. And then all of a sudden just a little laundry on the field and instead of it being 21 to 3 all of a sudden it's 14 to 11 because they they were able to get a stop there and then make a long drive, score, get the two-point conversion. Suddenly, instead of being down, uh, instead of being down eighteen points, you're down three. That to me, that that plays probably the difference in the game. That's the game. That I don't think if if that touchdown stands, if that if that holding isn't called, I don't think Florida State wins this game. But it was called. I think, like I said, it was probably the right call. And Florida State went on to recover and ultimately win this game. Now, if you actually look at the stats, at the numbers in this game, going down the going down the typical you know comparison that you that you look at, you'd expect Florida State to win this game. Overall, Florida State did deserve to win this game. Just again, looking at the numbers, looking at the scoreboard, looking at yards per play, for example. OU 5.9 yards per play, which is not the best if you're Florida State's defense, but Florida State 8.2 yards per play. Generally speaking, you have that kind of a delta in yards per play where FSU over a third more yards per play than, uh, or just about a third more, just under a third more actually, uh, in yards per play. You expect that team to to go in and and win by double digits. But Florida State had to scrap and claw to to win this game, partly because they didn't handle situations all that well, some really key situations. And, you know, OU was able at different points to get some key stops. If you look at what what wound up making this game uh, so close, you're looking at third downs and fourth down uh, performance here. Florida State went for it on fourth down three times and did not get it on any of the three. 
that that right there is is significant. Uh, several missed opportunities. You know, you, the the Johnny Wilson drop, for example, is one that really stands out as a oh my goodness, that completely changes the game. You get that one going, and all of a sudden, uh, the the whole game looks different with with that lead. Uh, five of twelve on third down. Actually, I want to take a look because I'm pretty sure earlier in the game that was even worse. So Florida State started first half. Florida State on third down was one of six. That, yeah, that's that's not ideal. <laughs> they finally, then they turned that around a little bit in the third quarter, three of four on third down in the third quarter, and then four of ten on third down uh, through the third quarter because of that. And then in the fourth quarter, third down, uh, one of two. So first half, that that one for six on third down was and and then zero for two on fourth down. There's your difference in terms of a lot of these of these problems. Florida State was averaging eight yards a play against five point one yards per play in the first half, and still going into the uh, going into the half was was down seventeen to eleven, and and that's not what you expect given that overall output. Uh, essentially. OU was able to make tackles even on on big plays in general, especially early in the first half. They were able to make some big plays, but those big plays didn't hit home, hit for home runs, and so as a result, uh, OU was able to stay within striking distance and stay ahead actually early on with some good efficiency in key situations, good red zone efficiency, and all of that. Ultimately, though, it was Florida State's ability in, in terms of explosive plays that was the difference in this game. I mean, you're looking at seven rushes of over 10 yards and 11 pass plays of 15 plus, 26, 31, 23 yards, 16 yard touchdown, 30 yards, 19, 18, 15, 33, 17 yard touchdown and 58, which was an unreal catch. Amazing that Johnny Wilson makes that catch on the 58 yarder in the fourth quarter on the on the go ahead drive and doesn't catch the easy one early on it's where he's just got to learn to go out and get it with his hands on that on the easier one whereas on the other he's just concentrating on getting his hand on it managed to kind of juggle it back back and forth between his hands and and come down with it but uh but you could see really the difference was those explosive plays OU did not have the same number of those. You look at six plays over 15 yards in the passing game, uh, several of which, actually this game, I, I should I should think about that. This game reminded me a lot about uh, of the Wake Forest game in terms of Florida State outgaining their opponent, uh, generally outplaying their opponent, but getting mossed on a number of cases in, on the outside where you've got a defensive back in play, uh, you've got a defensive back who's actually in pretty good position, and then just comes up short. I mean, Mims mossed Florida State's corners a couple times, and you know that that makes a difference. Those key situations that put them in position to score a few times, and then of course being able to run the football with success. And that really was the thing that that made this game look like it, uh, like OU at one point looked like OU was the better team, and it was largely because OU was able to get. Running, rushing space for their backs and was able to to run the football with success. And that is, you know, that was that was really the difference. And the, the thing that's crazy is that OU did this without three of their starters on the offensive line. I mean, both tackles, they're all conference tackles, and then their center 
did not play in this game. And that further lends credence to what I said in the preview, that if these two teams had played in the regular season, I think this would have been, this might have, this might have gone the other way. Although, again, the situational stuff, I'm not sure how much better OU would have run the football because they, they had plenty of space at different points. Uh, I'm not sure whether it would have made a difference because they actually played so well up front. But if it had, I mean, Oklahoma may have managed to win this game in the regular season. But again, uh, a few of those guys out in this game and it uh, benefiting Florida State. But you're looking at, you know, Javante Barnes, 27 carries, 108 yards, averaging four yards a carry. Uh, then you've got uh, uh, Sawchuk, the other freshman running back, Gavin Sawchuk, 15 carries, 100 yards, 208 yards between their two primary backs. And then, you know, Gabriel with a few, with a, with that one long 23-yard run as well, you know, did some damage with his legs. They ran the football 60 times in this game and were able, again, to have sufficient success to keep the chains moving, keep the ball away from Florida State at different points, even though they're not really trying to play keep away in the sense that they're they're going fast. But the other thing is that you could tell at different points, Florida State's defense got gassed against that tempo. So, uh, you know, this ended up being a, a, a bit of a heavyweight fight with the two different teams taking their different approaches and, and, and trying trying to essentially land those knockout punches. But ultimately, the, the difference in the game was Jordan Travis on the offensive side, 482 yards passing, and then, you know, a nice healthy 50 yards on seven carries in the running game. Got rolled up on a little bit, so he's going to be sore tomorrow in terms of that left ankle. But uh, but fortunately, the last game of the season should be healthy for next year. But if we're thinking about what this game ultimately represents, if I'm if I'm thinking about what this game means from the Florida State side, there are a few th- a few takeaways just out of out of the out of the jump out of the gate. This, first of all, just getting to ten wins is a huge deal. First of all, for recruiting, for continuing to get good buzz and publicity going into the off season. Florida State now is going to be the beneficiary of essentially six months of positive press going into the season on a major win streak, coming out with a bowl win against the Blue Blood program. Yes, they were 6-6 six and six coming in, finished 6-7, and seven, but that's a good OU team. And still the OU brand, and Florida State finishes the season with that win on a, what, now a six-game win streak. So now then going into next season with all these guys returning with you know the additional with with Jordan Travis staying with the addition of a number of of key transfers and others there's going to be a lot of buzz about Florida State and more than there would have been if they had lost this game this gives them just a, an incredible amount of positive momentum for the first time really in the Mike Norvell era where they're not going to have to recruit against they're not going to have to recruit against the wind they're not having to recruit uphill They've got the wind in their sails, and now they can start to, to, to work forward on some of those things. And really, you know, they're, they've set it up so that next year is really a push your chips to the middle of the table season and see if you can make a run. And that's what they're doing. They are, they are investing heavily to make a run in the 2023 season. And really, they need to because, you know, a number of these guys who are staying this year are not going to be there in 2024. So you're probably going to see a bit of a step back from 2023 and 2024, which means you've got to recruit really well and you've got to be able to handle some of those losses 
as you're really going to have a bit of an exodus and, and a changing of the guard after next season. I mean, this, this, this next season has to be a push your chips to the middle of the table season to really further sustain the program building. They understand that, and they're doing it. So that's number one. Number two, and this one's a little trickier, and we'll have to talk a little bit more about this as we, we do some, some off-season pods, but... Yeah, and and actually, unlike other hot takes episodes throughout the history of this podcast, I just actually deleted a decent portion of what I just had to say. I just i I can't, in good conscience, go fully there. All I'm going to say is, I think Mike Norvell has to evaluate the composition of everything that's happening on the defensive side of the ball. Has to evaluate how that side of the ball is performing relative to its overall talent and determine whether or not that is going to be sufficient for a year where you're pushing your chips all to the middle of the table. Are you going to go into a a game against an Alabama or a Georgia or whomever and feel as though you are on par there? That's that's the thing that they're going to have to have to figure out. Now, of course, you know, again, you you put love it out there and it's a totally different different defense. It has been all season. And when I recorded my uh, my pregame for this game, I actually was was not aware uh, at the time that Lovett had had a uh, a cleanup procedure, which is a really common thing that happens after a uh, after you get the fifth metatarsal surgery. You have a screw put into the into the uh, fifth metatarsal. It's such a small bone that normally, I mean, it's it's like over fifty percent of those, especially with athletes and bigger body people. Uh, you're going to end up having to go in and clean that up a little bit after the bone heals and all of that. Usually there's there's something that happens with the, with the, the screw and all that. Anyway, he had that cleaned up, and they decided to hold him out for this game. Uh, you hope that he actually comes back for next year uh, and, and is able to demonstrate that he's not damaged goods or anything and, and really work himself into a little bit better draft stock than he might be, than he might be able to this year. Uh, but you know who knows what's going to happen there. In any case... Yeah, they're they're different without Love It out there, and that's another comparison, by the way, to the Wake Forest game, where again Wake Forest took advantage of the absence of Love It in the in the middle to be able to run the football, not for a bunch of yardage, but for enough here and there to again stay in the game, get a lead, and then win some key situations, have their receivers moss some DBs here and there uh, in key situations, and then. Uh, come away with, in their case, a winner. And in this case, OU very nearly coming away with the win. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's something that, uh, that, that definitely matters. But again, if I'm Mike Norvell and, and look, Norvell has forgotten more about football than I probably will ever know. But if I'm Mike Norvell, I am, I'm very seriously evaluating the, the, the defensive side of the ball in particular and whether or not everything is as it should be, whether or not all the pieces are really in place from the top down to make the run that I'm hoping to make. And that may require some very hard decisions. So, you know, you're going to have to take a very, very hard, long look at what's going on in terms of the overall performance of your defense relative to the talent level. Now, that said, you could definitely see why they have pursued certain positions so heavily in the transfer portal going to next year. 
you you could definitely see that they they can need continued work at that defensive tackle spot. I actually thought Farmer played well there overall inside, and I think Dennis Briggs probably. I mean, I thought he looked as good. I mean, I don't know that he had the most impactful game, and you know, still still left some to be desired there. But I thought overall, uh, and he was in on that last sack with 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 Verse. I thought Briggs was moving better than he has all season, but you could see why they prioritized Daryl Jackson and Braden Fisk in the transfer portal and how big a difference those guys can make because this team's got to be able to stop the run just a little bit better next year. They've got to, and they've got to be able to win the line of scrimmage just a little bit more. I mean, again, especially grading on the curve, knowing that, uh, that OU did not have their, their starting offensive line in there. They've got to have a little bit more depth and a little bit more, uh, a little bit more quality on the inside to be able to hold up against other blue blood programs that are going to put some pressure on you defensively. And you could see that, again, the defense got gassed at different points in this game and they're going to have to find ways of establishing a deep enough rotation with quality bodies that that is not going to happen as much. So again, you, you hope that Lovett is able to return. And if Lovett returns now, all of a sudden you are in a, you're in a completely different context because now you've got Lovett, Daryl Jackson, Fisk, and Dennis Briggs as your top four, and then you get to Tifase and Farmer, and then you get to Malcolm Ray. I mean, Malcolm Ray might be seventh on the depth chart next year if Fabian Lovett comes back. He might be the seventh guy in the rotation, not seventh in the depth chart. He'd be third on the depth chart, but seventh in the rotation, uh, third or fourth, seventh in the rotation uh, for defensive tackle, which is a far cry from, I mean, he's been the second guy on the field aside from the starters this year. Suddenly next year, that may not be the case. And, you know, aside from that, you can see why they're really pushing hard to try to get a, another safety, you know, a top end safety transfer who can help them once Jamie Robinson is gone. And I do expect that this was his last game. And then, they they really do need one more corner who can who can avoid getting mossed like some of these guys did. Uh, this is where I mean Fentrell Cypress. If he watched this game, he got to see exactly how needed he is by this defense. You add a you add a lockdown corner. You add two more defensive tackles that can that can play, and you know maybe keep Lovett as well. And then you add a safety. You've got to, they've got to add one more safety there. And suddenly this defense, personnel-wise, has fewer holes. So again, this is the, this is the thing that, that Norvell is going to have to decide is, will adding those pieces, let's say they add a guy who's been a, a shutdown-type corner at another place, and then add a quality safety and you know add one more say one more piece does that do enough to make you confident that all things everything else on defense can be left as is and you you feel like you're going to improve enough that when it comes to beating teams with comparable or even in certain cases a little more talent on the field that you you have a chance that you that you're in be, that you're in great shape and you're not at a disadvantage he's going to have to evaluate that and right now, I think that's that's a hard that's a hard discussion to have. Just is. 
Anyhow, on offense, you could see the offense just struggled to basically finish drives early on. I mean, the first drive was sort of a harbinger of the whole of the whole game, averaging eight yards a play and managing only to get thirty five points on the board. That, that's kind of that was kind of the that's kind of the night in a nutshell. That first drive of zip right downfield and then suddenly stall inside the ten yard line and have to kick a field goal. That was kind of indicative of the of the whole game. And you again. You can see why they emphasized going out and getting really quality bodies in the transfer portal on the offensive line to try to add to beef up just a little bit more so that when they're in the red zone, when they're in those situations, they're able to run the football the way that ultimately OU was able to run the football tonight. And, you know, the offensive line for Florida State has gotten a lot better. I mean, Alex Atkins has worked a minor miracle in Tallahassee. Norvell has done a phenomenal job in terms of rebuilding that offensive line along with with Atkins. But you could see in this game against a really talented blue chip set of players and against a defense that, you know, was not to their standard this year. You could see at times that they still, it's still just not quite at the talent level and the ability to hold up athletically and just physically in terms of physicality against some of the, the the best defensive lines, some of the really talented, you know, blue chip heavy defensive lines in the country. You could see that against Florida. You could see that in this game. You could see that against Clemson. And, you know, Norvell does such a good job of, first of all, sticking with the run and then using so much diversity in formation and in run calls and in concepts that he's he finds ways to manufacture the running game with you know numbers and all of that that I just mentioned uh, added to it. He does a great job of manufacturing the running game and working with an offensive line that's not quite optimal. But they, if they're going to have the season that they're hoping to have next year, they need to be better to where when it comes time to line up on third or fourth and one, or, you know, inside the five-yard line, they can just pound the rock. And they they have not been there. They are not there. The hope is that with the additions from the transfer portal this year and a few of the other young guys getting older and adding a little bit more depth there and, and some of the younger starters that are returning for next year, gaining some further, you know, time in the weight room and, and more experience and, and becoming more of a, of a grown man at the college level, the hope is that, they're able to get that taken care of and that that becomes a strength next year rather than something that they have to scheme around once the field gets tight. And you again, you could see it tonight. You saw it on the first drive. You saw it at a, a number of, in a number of cases where you know, OU looked like the more physical team in the trenches through the vast majority of this game. They were the more physical team in the trenches. And Florida State, some of that is just adding talent upgrading there and some of that is is especially on the defensive side is is just a little bit more of an edge that needs to be brought into that that defensive side nevertheless on the on the whole you look at this game Treshawn Ward 10 carries 81 yards including that long of 38 for for a touchdown two scores uh, Benson, 13 carries for 25 yards, 1.9 yards per carry, which, by the way, this game is why I really, really would like to see Treshawn Ward stay at Florida State 
because I think his running style against this kind of defense and against, say, an LSU, in certain cases, actually, his running style offers you more than what Trey Benson has been able to do against a few of these defenses. So, again, that gets a little tricky, but you hope that Ward can stick around again to be kind of thunder and lightning there. And if there's a back that I would see get fewer carries of the of all those guys on the roster, I would have to say it's got to be Toafili versus Ward. I just think Ward brings so much to the table with his vision and his ability to find creases against top-level defensive lines that are getting into the backfield. Uh, and, and, and also a weapon in the Wildcat. So he's a guy that I think you really hope you hold on to and you've got to persuade him that, yeah, Trey Benson's probably going to get the the, mo- the most carries and the most pub, but you're going to be an important part of this offense, especially in these big games, and you're going to have an opportunity to really uh, continue to make a name for yourself while not adding up too much tread on your tires. And that's the thing. Him going somewhere else and being the featured back doesn't really change the way that the NFL is going to see him, but it does mean that he's going to get more tread off of those tires, which may actually hurt him in the long run. Uh, whereas those guys are watching what he's doing at Florida State now, and it's just going to come down to testing in terms of where he ends up being, uh, getting opportunities at the next level. So, so yeah, there's, there's a there's a lot more to to go through in this. Uh, you know, you could look at the. It's just not good when OU is averaging 17.4 yards per completion. Uh, that's 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 no bueno. <laughs> You've got to find better ways of of putting the clamps on the passing game there. Nevertheless, they held Gabriel to fifty eight percent passing and uh, only two hundred forty three yards. You know, decent not, decent amount on each of those fourteen completions, but uh, w- they weren't able to be as consistent in the passing game as as I think OU would have liked. And of course, Florida State averaged fifteen point five yards per completion, so you know not not a whole lot behind that. Uh, and, you know, that's something uh, to feel pretty good about, again, if you're Jordan Travis or if you're expecting high, big things about, out of Jordan Travis going into next year. And there's not a whole lot more to go through in terms of my immediate hot takes uh, coming out of this one, but uh, there'll be a lot more to talk about in the offseason for sure. And uh, until then, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this. Next time I come back, I will be evaluating the defensive recruiting class. But until then, this has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.